0: So we see David teaching us how important it is to own our sins. He says, Only then, after I have owned my sin and received God's grace in Christ, then I can teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Again, acknowledging our sin and appealing to God's grace is what makes us fit for faithful worship before the Lord.
1: Welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor. I'm here with Pastor Daniel, and we're going to study again God's Word as we looked at it this past Sunday. and so. Pastor Daniel, what passage did you bring us on Sunday morning,
0: and what was the main point? It's good to be here with you, brother. Yes, this past Lord's Day, we considered Psalm 51 together, one of the famous psalms of David uh, that expresses his repentance before the Lord. And so the main takeaway from this psalm was that God wants his people to be marked by sincere repentance. And in this psalm, we learn that this consists of acknowledging our sin against God, appealing to God's grace alone to remove our guilt, and appealing to God's power alone to renew our hearts, and also learning once again what it means to adore God in holy living. That's so good, and
1: it's a reminder that repentance is not just at the beginning of a Christian life. God doesn't just want us to repent in the beginning, but we should be a people marked by sincere repentance throughout our life. Now, Pastor Daniel, is there any vivid imagery in this text that helps us see what it's telling us here?
0: Yes, throughout this psalm, David uses imagery to express both his sin condition, but also God's grace and and gracious remedy in Christ. Uh, He expresses his sins in the opening verses in a couple of different ways. He speaks of his transgressions, he speaks of his iniquity, and he speaks of his sin. And transgression refers to our rebellion against God. The imagery is, you know, here of someone raising their fist to the heavens in defiance. Uh, Iniquity refers to our twisted sin nature, which David says he had even from his mother's womb. And then he speaks of his sin, which refers to falling short of God's standards. You could think of an arrow maybe missing the bullseye, and sin is missing the mark of God's holy standards. But then he appeals, right in those same verses, to God's gracious remedy He speaks of God um, blotting out his sin. He asked God to do that. He asked God to wash him of his iniquity and asked God to cleanse him from his sin. Uh, Blotting out refers to a king who would remove certain things from a book, maybe certain lines or certain pages. And David is asking God to remove uh, that record of wrongs that stands against him, so to blot it out. He speaks of God washing him of his iniquity. And that imagery is of someone you know, maybe doing laundry or washing clothes. David has many stains upon his life, and so he asked the Lord to take away those guilty stains that are upon him. And then he asked God to cleanse him, uh, which has the imagery of making him ceremonially fit again uh, to worship and to be his faithful king.
1: I love that imagery. And we find that David there is asking God to do this cleansing, this blotting out, this washing, because we cannot... Deal with our guilt ultimately. It has to be God who cleanses us. And it reminds me of a story in Shakespeare's play, Macbeth. And no, I don't uh, read Shakespeare on my free time. I wish I was that sophisticated and cool, but I did hear it in a sermon and it stuck with me. In that play, Lady Macbeth is sort of wrestling with her guilt, and early on she says, A little water clears us of this deed. The deed that they're talking about is the murder of another character, Duncan. But then, later in the play, that guilt is not so easily removed from her, and she begins to actually hallucinate that blood is on her hands, like this stain that she just can't get out. In a very climactic way, she cries out, out, damned spot, out. It's a reminder to us that guilt is not easily removed, pushed aside, or simply swept under the rug and guilt can ruin and wreck a person. She kind of becomes undone by her guilt in the play. Uh, It shows us our deep need that we see here in David, a need for cleansing, washing, and blotting out of the spots of sin and guilt that stain our hearts. And you showed us in the sermon, Pastor Daniel, that no little ritualistic water or intoxicating wine to numb us, or even our pious activity in the world can ultimately get rid of our guilty stain. As we sang on Sunday in the hymn, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. That's weighty. Pastor Daniel, that's, that's heavy, uh, this guilt that we all carry. Is that really true of our human condition? Are we really that broken and guilty before God?
0: Yes, and we don't appreciate really the good news of the gospel of Christ until we own that bad news. But as Christians, we, we joyfully believe that God so loved this world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we believe that God sent His Son into the world to take upon our flesh and to go to that cross for us, and on that cross to bear all of our guilt and all of our shame so that God could blot out our sins and cleanse us and forgive us. And that's what we see in this psalm. We see the reality of our sin, but we also see the grace of God that is greater than all of our sins. And we're reminded in a text like this as well that, You know, we see a lot of issues going on in the world today and a lot of brokenness around us. And we're reminded that at the heart of that is our sin and our rebellion against God. But that's what Jesus came to deal with first and foremost, to remove sin from, from our lives.
1: Oh, what good news it is to hear of the gospel. And it makes me think of King David. What was the gospel promise he was holding on to, that he was thinking about how did he envision God cleansing him from his sin? Is there any imagery in this passage that that jumps out to us about that?
0: Yes. Yeah, God showed him that cleansing in different ways. And one of the ways that he expresses that is when he asked God to purge him with hyssop and then he would be clean. And that hyssop branch was used by the priest to be dipped in blood and he would sprinkle an unclean house or an unclean person like a leper In order to declare it clean once again and so we see David calling out to God as his great priest asking him to to remove his sin and also to declare him clean and as Christians we hear that imagery in light of Christ we see that cleansing comes at a cost that it took nothing less than the blood of the Son of God to be shed for us to cleanse us of our sins so that we could hear that wonderful declaration that we are clean and holy in god's sight in fact david says wash me and i will be whiter than snow and that's the imagery of purity through and through right and god making us pure from the inside out and we see that in christ jesus uh, covers us in his righteousness in those white holy garments Uh, but then he also gives us his holy spirit to make us inwardly holy To make us more like himself as we sing in that beautiful hymn rock of ages he saves us from guilt and he makes me pure
1: that's beautiful and such good news and it's it's somewhat ironic or counterintuitive right that blood which is Hmm. red and stains things can make us whiter than snow it's speaking about the cleansing of our record before Hmm. god our record of sin that justice is served by the blood of Christ that he paid the punishment for us and so now there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ uh, we have a clean record uh, before God the Father based on the blood of Christ which was shed for us now Pastor Daniel how is God's truth as presented by this text renewing and reshaping your own heart
0: yeah this text is a tremendous comfort in many ways Uh, One of the ways it it comforts me and God's people is that it reminds us that even the worst sins of our life can be forgiven. Uh, This psalm opens up with an introduction, uh, sometimes called a superscription, which tells us the occasion of this psalm. It's when Nathan the prophet addressed and confronted David after he had sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba. And in David's fall, we also see him killing Bathsheba's husband Uriah as well and committing murder. And so we see many different grievous and scandalous sins in David's life, Uh, this man who was the anointed king of Israel. But again, we see God's amazing grace to cover his stains. As Nathan the prophet told him in 2 Samuel 12, the Lord has put away your sin.
1: It's easy for me to believe, oh, God can forgive and reach my, quote unquote, respectable sins. Mm -hmm. You know, the smaller ones. But maybe we doubt and maybe someone listening doubts that God will actually forgive us our worst thoughts, our worst deeds, our, the worst words and harmful things that came out of our mouth or our worst actions. Does God really forgive us those things as well? And here we see in the life of David that he was a scandalous sinner who, you know, the litany of his sins, is it's all the Ten Commandments essentially, he sinned against the Lord. And yet, as you just said, God still forgave him And that tells us something about who God is. Who is this God that we are dealing with, that we are encountering in his word? Psalm 130 says this about him. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. Mm -hmm. And so from his very heart flows steadfast love and it flows in abundance, plentifully. And we can maybe even think of the Apostle Paul, who considered himself to be the foremost of sinners for which Christ came to save. A terrible sinner before the sight of God, and yet God's grace reached him. And he says in 1 Timothy, The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, with Paul, he's trying to show us that as the foremost sinner, God's grace didn't just barely reach him. It overflowed to him. He had so much grace and so much mercy from Christ that he didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> His grace is more than sufficient for all our sins. And that's such good news.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a good word. And that's that's what comforts me as a church leader as well. You know, as a pastor, there's times I feel unfit. You know, when my marriage is struggling at different points or... I don't feel like a great dad, or even when my own walk before the Lord feels so weak and inadequate at times. You know, it's, it's humbling that God calls me to be a pastor when, when I feel that brokenness inside. Uh, but I'm reminded in texts like this that God's grace reaches me when I confess my own sins before God and to his people as well, and walk in, in repentance that it's his grace again that not only forgives me, but also makes me fit to be able to teach others about the Lord. And so I'm so thankful for that as a, as a pastor and as a Christian. And I love the words of Jesus to the Apostle Peter, right? One of the apostles who followed and walked with Jesus, denied him three times, and Jesus actually told him beforehand that he would do that. But then he says this, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And after you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And we see God's restorative grace there to not only bring us back on the path spiritually, but also to make us fit again to teach others about Christ. That's
1: beautiful and so encouraging that God's promising not only to forgive us, but he's also promising to renew us, to mm. restore us, right? Now, Pastor Daniel, there's so much comfort in this psalm. In what ways is it correcting you?
0: Yeah, this text reminds me how important it is to take ownership of my own sins. You know, when I sin, our dear listener, when you sin, You know, often we blame other people for our actions. We blame our circumstances for why we sinned. But we're reminded in the psalm that we need to recognize how sin flows from our own fallen hearts. And so it's necessary for us to own the sin in our life personally. It's necessary for us to own sin in our churches. It's necessary even for us to own sin in society. I think the real damage happens in relationships and even in cultures when we allow not only sin to take place, but we allow it to be unconfessed. When we fail to own our sins or to own past wrongs in all these different settings, it becomes toxic, right? Churches can become toxic, families can become toxic, workplaces can become toxic when we allow sin to fester and when no one actually owns it. And so we see David teaching us how important it is to own our sins. He says, only then after I have owned my sin and, and received God's grace in Christ, then I can teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Again, acknowledging our sin and appealing to God's grace is what makes us fit again for for faithful worship before the Lord.
1: Now as you're talking, Pastor Daniel, it reminds me of how Jesus rebuked often the Pharisees, Mm -hmm. the religious leaders of his day, who were Highly respected and esteemed by all their peers and the community, but Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. And so they they had this appearance of godliness on the outside, but on the inside, their hearts were festering with sin. Uh, It was unchecked, and uh, they were not repenting of it. They were not acknowledging it. They were suppressing it. All the while, keeping a good appearance with others around them and having kind of a a thin veneer of respectability on top of sins underneath. That is not the way uh, we should go forward. And the gospel actually liberates us out of that because we can confess our sins with the confidence that there is forgiveness of sins. You know, that uh, we don't love each other based on the... Appearance of respectability or the appearance of godliness in one another. We love one another because God has so loved us in Christ. He has chosen to forgive us, redeem us, and renew us, and we are united in that. Our confidence is not found in our own obedience, but in Christ and His power to forgive and to renew us. Mm. But that getting there, getting to that place where we're actually open to show. Uh, to lift the tomb off right, right. and show the decay underneath in our hearts and the sin that's there, to take off that veneer and ask others to help and open up, that can be hard. Uh, It requires a bit bit of courage to open up about our sins and weaknesses and needs. It's a scary thing to do. So, Pastor Daniel, what does that look like for us as a community, as a church?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, David tells us in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And we're reminded that in our churches, that's the kind of humility that we want to have. Uh, Pastor Ray Ortland speaks about building a, a gospel culture in your church, which is a culture that is flowing from these rich truths of the gospel. And he says, the most important trait in a gospel culture is honesty. He says, in too many churches today, nobody admits anything. The social environment of a church can become infested with shaming and posing, blaming, finger pointing, fault finding, the opposite of gracious acceptance. But he says, in a gospel culture, sinners are safe to own up to their problems and grow together in the Lord. And again, that is what God is calling us to as a covenant community, to walk in the light as God is in the light. Because there we find not only forgiveness, but we find true fellowship with one another as sinners who are looking to the cross alone to be our salvation.
1: Mm. It's so uh, challenging, but also encouraging at the same time. Too often we confess our general sins. Mm. Oh, you know, I'm a sinner, yeah. you're a sinner, mm. and we think of sin generally. But here in this, in this psalm, we find that God, He's dealing with a real sinner, yeah. with real sins that He's confessing before the Lord and he wants us to be raw and open with mm-hmm. him about our sins and to one another, recognizing that God is able to save us to the uttermost mm-hmm. with respect to all of our sins. Yeah. Now, Pastor Daniel, what are some practical takeaways for all the different kinds of people in our congregation?
0: You know, sometimes in the churches, we could come to church on Sundays and maybe head out a little quickly, and we always a bit remain a bit on the on the sidelines, as it were, on the fringe. And a psalm like this reminds us that, you know, sin, it does thrive in isolation. And sometimes when we sin, you know, it carries with it some shame and that keeps us away from God and also from His people. And so if you're listening to this and and maybe you're not plugged into um, the church in any meaningful way and, and you're struggling with sin in different forms, Uh, know that God has provided uh, a church where you could hear this good news of the gospel, which liberates us from despair and hopelessness. And know that you could find a community of faith where sinners like you are walking with eyes on Jesus, right, together running that race of faith, laying aside sin and hindrances. But this is a Psalm that reminds us that it's important to be owning our sins and we need to be together to do that. The beautiful truth of even Psalm 103 as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That when we again turn back to God and we fear the Lord, uh, we could appeal like David did to his compassion towards us, his compassionate heart, and he looks upon us in, in love. And so, again, if you're listening to this and and maybe there is no one in your life that is speaking into your life in a meaningful way. We want to encourage you to reach out to a trusted Christian friend. Maybe reach out to an elder, to your elder at the church, or to to a pastor, even to one of us, and to um, maybe share how we can be praying for you. Maybe ask for help in these areas that, that you might be struggling with. Again, God has put us in a community of faith. I love how Pastor Paul Tripp put it. He says, your, your sanctification... That's your growth in God is a community project. And we need that. Our, indeed, our Christian life, we, we need one another in it.
1: What you quoted earlier from 1 John 1.7 applies so well. It says, but if we walk in the light, if we, so it's not you or not mm. I individually, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all our sin. And so this is a communal effort. We need community to do this well. We need, um, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in Life Together, we need to hear that word of absolution or pardon of our sins from our brother and sister after we've confessed sin. And that helps us really receive in a deeper level the forgiveness of God, because Mm. through our brother, we hear with greater confidence that God has forgiven us because we need the gospel outside of us right it's a word that mm. comes outside of us good news that has happened in history that we hear declared to us reminding us that God has done this he has forgiven our sins and so we need each other mm. we need a community for this to happen I love that encouragement get connected get plugged in and get to know people build those relationships uh, open up your heart with one another and more and more let's let's ask god to continue to make this a reality in our church together
0: yeah a brother in the lord shared with me recently that you know in his past he had been dominated by sexual sins uh, but he said one of the most liberating days came when when he was able to actually share that with a couple of church leaders and he says that was a day when he felt so free and so liberated And it's just like you're saying, Pastor Taylor, like when we're able to share those struggles with someone and actually kind of own our sin even before others. Even though it's an incredibly scary thought, there is freedom and there is joy and there's healing when we're walking in the light.
1: And I think it is so freeing and and joyful because we can breathe knowing that God knows us fully and he loves us still. being fully known and fully loved is kind of what we're talking about here you know as we open up and let ourselves be known by others and it's a bit scary because we're Mm -hmm. afraid maybe others won't love us in return but we know that in the gospel that is the case and more and more that should be the case among us as brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. in christ that we would be fully known among one another and also fully loving of one another as well as god has so loved us
0: yeah, there's many settings in, in the church where we can interact with each other in these meaningful ways. And perhaps we could think about how to allow that gospel culture in those various settings to manifest itself when it comes to sharing our struggles, sharing our joys with each other. You know, um, in, our, in our church here at Ontario URC, uh, we do have an upcoming Ladies Bible Study that hopes to meet starting next week. And, and we also have the Friday night fellowships in a new men's group that's meeting every few weeks on Thursday nights. And, you know, in these settings, these are opportunities for you, dear Christian, to to share your struggles with your brothers and with your sisters in the Lord, to ask for prayer, to ask for resources and for help when it comes to your own particular fight against sin. Again, we're a community of faith that's seeking to uphold each other in these various settings. And also just an encouragement. I mean, every Lord's Day, we we hear God's law. We take time to confess our sins and and just a reminder that as we do that, we're to bring to God our hearts. David, again, is saying, right, the Lord doesn't delight in these formal sacrifices, and we don't want to be falling into just going through the motions on Sunday or even in our own worship. But the Lord wants our hearts. And so just making use of those various settings, asking God to, to open our lips, to open our hearts to him in these various settings, that they would be truly spiritually enriching and refreshing as we fellowship with one another and together look to the Lord.
1: Those are great, helpful things that we can take advantage of, opportunities for community and fellowship in the life of the church. I also want to suggest this idea, too. There's always the opportunity for us to take the initiative to meet up with a brother or sister mm-hmm. in Christ on our own, right? to use church social or uh, to get the contact information, or just on Sunday, reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and kind of do a one-anothering, a bit of a discipling one another, a sort of mentorship, take them out to coffee, read a book together, grow in Christ together, open up your hearts together, and form that bond, that relationship. There's a sense in which we shouldn't always wait for the opportunities the church is giving, but also follow as the Spirit is leading us in love to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and hopefully this can be happening organically as well as organizationally in the life of our church. Now, lastly, Pastor Daniel, as we wrap things up, which verse do you recommend we commit to memory from this passage?
0: You know, there's many memorable verses in this Psalm, but I do love Psalm 51 verse 12, where David prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And I love that that verse because it highlights our joy in its connection with remaining steadfast in the Lord in our fight against sin. You know, when we find joy in Christ, when we delight in God's ways as our highest good, uh, then we begin to learn how to say no to those lesser pleasures of sin, which always promise some level of happiness and fulfillment, but, but never truly give us that joy. And so we're asking God to make our hearts full with true joy in Christ so that we could fight against sin more faithfully.
1: Amen brother, that's a good place to end. And we pray and ask that the Lord would restore the joy of your salvation, Christian, and uphold you today and this week with
0: a willing spirit.